Here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. Good morning, my name is Angelina Carlson. I'm the founder of Legacy Planning, and this morning I have the honor of inviting Jamie Breihoff Dros to a conversation about smart investments today. As more than 40% of the US dollar has lost value since the year 2000, I thought it would be beneficial to chat with a Swiss financial advisor about investing in different currencies, the history of Switzerland, as well as smart investments today. So welcome, Jamie. Hi, Angelina. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm very much looking forward to talking to you. Yes, I'm very excited about the topics we're going to cover. And I think this, that this will be both inspirational as well as educational to any of the viewers or listeners. So for a brief introduction, Jamie is a cross-border wealth management expert, public speaker, and writer. She heads the overall strategy of VHVP and advises a group of international clients with respect to international diversification and asset protection. Jamie started her banking career back in 2009 at Credit Suisse, where she worked in different departments, amongst others, in credit risk management, consumer finance, and private banking. Her experience is topped off with several years of working experience as a financial planner specializing in providing tailor-made international insurance and investment solutions. Last of all, but not least, she has worked as a project manager for a boutique consulting firm, as well as a cross-industry association, oh, sorry, as well as cross-industry association designed to strengthen Switzerland's startup ecosystem. Jamie co-authored the book, which I've read, and it's amazing, Swiss Money Secrets in 2018. She holds a bachelor's degree in banking and finance, and she's currently obtaining her master's in business administration from the University of St. Gallen. So... Did I, did I miss anything in the background or would you like to add anything to that? No, I think that has been quite uh, thorough. Um, the only thing I, I might add is, is why I even ended up in, financial in, this, in the financial industry because um, when I get to meet people, I'm, I'm more interested in why they end up uh, where they ended up and, and not so much in, in what they did. So maybe a bit on, on um, that aspect of my life. The, the company that I'm currently working for, WHVP, was founded by my father in the early 1990s. So I very much grew up in, in an entrepreneurial family. I grew up around finance and economic discussions around the, the dinner table at home. And that has in, inspired me at a very young age that I want to get into finance. And then as you correctly mentioned, I started with one of the largest universal banks here in the country, Credit Suisse. And I very quickly realized that 
even though I love banking and I, I love the, the numbers world and, and the current developments and, and um, socioeconomic um, topics, that it's not really my world to, to be working for a large corporation. So I have very early on decided that I would feel more comfortable in a, in a smaller environment. So it made a lot of sense for me to, to tailor my career towards joining my father, which is what I did um, five years ago. And then at the end of last year, we, we have bought him out and he uh, moved on into his very well-deserved retirement. And now my husband and I are um, heading the company together. And so far uh, we're having a blast. That's wonderful. And you, you're, you have a podcast and your first interview <laughs> on your podcast was with your dad. Yes, correct. Yeah, we, yes. we started that as a bit of a pandemic project uh, in the spring of last year. And okay. I just, I have a, a, a lot of uh, love and, and passion for intergenerational um, collaboration. So uh, for me, it was such a privilege to be working together with my father. Um, I think it was so, so great to, to learn the ropes from him, to learn um, from his experience, from everything that he has been doing over the past decades. And at the same time, I think I also could offer a lot to him, a, a better understanding of, of the digital world and, and um, social media and everything that has been going on and has been uh, moving my generation of, of millennials. So I think it was really great that we got um, over four years of working together. And I also wanted um, to, to honor that with, with the first podcast episode that I did with him, where he just shared a little bit about how he ended up in banking, because he has an extremely interesting background as well. So I'm happy to hear that you enjoyed that episode. Yeah. And I, with Father's Day coming up, just a plug for dads, their <laughs> influence on their daughters is amazing. And I think that mentoring is also essential in the business world. Um, and it's also good. Absolutely. It's, yeah. And it's also good to see female faces entering finance. So, oh, so yes. <laughs> before I ask my first official question, I just wanted to add a little introduction about Switzerland. So with one third of all private offshore wealth managed in Switzerland, the country offers much stability, history, as well as security. Switzerland is also home to the Swiss franc, one of the world's strongest national currency, and it offers a minimal withholding tax. So what do you think causes non you, uh, non-Swiss investors that are new to the world of investing, such as Americans, to commence the transfer of a part of their wealth and portfolio to Switzerland as well as your company? Yeah, I think Switzerland, it, it's such a fascinating place, especially for banking. Um, and I'm, I'm extremely grateful that I got to grow up in, in such an amazing place. Um, I think in terms of investments, one, one of the most important things is it's um, political neutrality. So we are not part of the European Union. We only became part of the United Nations not that long ago. Um, we have a mediation role between, um, between, for example, the US and, and other countries. So I think that is something that is uh, really speaking for, for the country, that it is neutral, but then of course, also the economic stability that we have. Um, we are a very um, wealthy country. We have a very high level of, of millionaires. We have one of the highest, if not the highest um, GDP per capita level uh, on the planet. We have an extremely interesting educational system with people such as myself start working in corporations at the tender age of 15. So we really have people who are very young, but already have a lot of experience in, in working in the financial sector. And then of course, we also have an incredibly long track record in managing private wealth. So um, wealth management in Switzerland go, goes back to, I think, the 18th century, where Swiss people started managing the wealth of wealthy royal families um, mm -hmm. from other European countries. So the track record really is unmatched. And um, it is 
enhanced by um, also our in innovation, the education that I already mentioned, um, the Swiss franc that you have already mentioned. So there's a variety of factors that go into Switzerland being a, a very, very beneficial place for um, international banking. And especially in a position of strength these days when people are worried about Yes, absolutely. I mean, with everything that has been going on in, in the past 12 to 18 months on, on the planet, but, but also especially in the US, um, our, what we offer has been very sought after because at the end of the day, what, what we can provide to clients is peace of mind. We, we can help them sleep better at night because they have the opportunity of, of placing a part of their hard-earned money um, in a safe place where they don't really have to worry and think about it too much anymore. Um, so our main focus is capital preservation. As you mentioned, um, our specialization, our niche are U.S. clients. Most, most of them are still based in the U.S., but we also work together um, with some U.S.-related people who, who have moved to different parts of the world. Um, yeah, and I think as, as uh, heartbreaking and harrowing as, as the past couple of months have been uh, for business, business-wise, they have been very good because um, our service is especially um, in, in high demand during turbulent times. Sure, sought out, absolutely. Yeah. So um, just curious, do you see any trends on the horizon, maybe, or it's... A, it, it Yes, um, I, I mean, there's there's uh, many different trends on the horizon. Do you have a specific um, uh, like topic? Do you, do you mean in wealth management uh, or, sure, or, or what, like, what? Uh, with uh, cryptocurrencies or gold? Yes, yeah, definitely. So, so cryptocurrencies. Um, that is a topic that comes up again and again. Of course, it, it first we we saw. A, a rise in, in questions about the topic in 2017. And then again, um, in, in the last year, personally, I think it's an extremely interesting topic. I think it's, as wealth managers, it's important that we are up to date, that we know what's going on, that we have an opinion on, on the topic. Um, personally, I do believe that the blockchain, so the underlying technology of, of Bitcoin, for example, will change the world. It will change the way we do business and banking. So I think it, it is um, an extremely interesting development to watch. Um, from an investment point of view, I do believe that if people have some spare money that um, they, they could um, afford to lose, uh, then absolutely, by all means, um, have fun and, and invest some money. But um, for me as a professional investor or for us as a company and as a team, um, the volatility is too high for the kind of people and, and clients that we work together with. And also at the moment, um, at least from my understanding, there's no real way to evaluate if the currency is at a decently traded value or not. So there's not really any formula or, or any um, framework that I could apply to decide whether or not buying uh, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin or any other um, currency makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I'm a bit torn. I do believe that the people can um, invest smaller amounts of money if, if they are not too, too attached to it. Um, I, as a professional investor, would not um, include it in the portfolio for the time being, just because we work together with people who are mostly at the end of their career. Their main focus is capital preservation and, and the safe nest egg outside of the home country. So I don't really think that a highly volatile investment like Bitcoin would be particularly suitable. But as I mentioned, I think the, um, the technology is absolutely something to, to look out for, something to observe and, and watch and understand, because it will have a, a tremendous impact. Um, but then we, we, of course, we also see different trends. Um, we, we see investment trends like ESG. Um, we see more focus on sustainability. Um, we have trends like we see more and more women 
um, acquiring wealth over the next couple of years. I think that will change the wealth management industry as well, because um, women can have some, some different uh, needs and desires than men when it comes to how they want their money to be um, managed. Um, so and yeah, perspective. Uh, yeah, and values. yes, exactly. And then of course, we also have a, a trend of, of globalization that has been going on for, for many years, which is relevant for us because um, it, it leads to more Americans being spread throughout the world, more Americans um, needing an international financial solution. It also leads to more people having a U.S. relation. So people that might not necessarily consider them, themselves American might marry someone who's American. They might study in the U.S. They might have business relationships in the U.S. So we see more and more people who have some kind of um, U.S. connection that, that are in need of our service. And then the, the last trend that is also very um, relevant for, for our kind of, of clients or Americans in general is the, the decrease in the value of the US dollar that you mentioned at the beginning of our podcast episode. Um, we do believe with everything that is being going on, not, not to get too political, but um, with, with the, the, the relief packages and, and stimulus money that, that has been um, put out into the market, all the, the dollar bills that are being printed, that, that will have a lasting effect on the currency. And we have seen um, the, the devaluation of the currency start decades ago. And we do believe with, with the um, more recent development that that will accelerate the trend of, of having a, a decreasing value in, in the currency. And I think investors will become more interested in investing in different types of currencies, given that when they look at the U.S. dollar and the inflation that's happening, they're going to ask the question yes. about where can my uh, financial assets be safe, but also where can I get more of a return on investment? Yes. So yeah, absolutely. in tackling any myths about investing offshore, what are some of the main presumptions to overcome, let's say with an American or, or anyone outside of Switzerland that has heard about this concept? but they don't have a lot of clarity yet. Yes, um, I, there's there's plenty of misconception. Hollywood, Hollywood is not really doing us any favors. <laughs> um, so I think that the first one that, that I would like to get out of the way is that it's only for the super wealthy. So that it's only for, for the, the princes and the presidents of the world. And that's just not the case. Of course, um, Switzerland, this is a lot of things, but it's not a cheap place. So there needs to be a certain amount of wealth um, accumulated for it to make sense. But most people are very surprised when I tell them that we can onboard people with starting from 250,000 US dollars upwards. So you don't need to have millions and millions in the bank account. Also, um, for our company, we work together with individual um, retirement accounts. So it is also possible to move part of your retirement money offshore. You, so you don't need to have... Um, cash savings of, of millions and millions laying around for, for it to make sense to you. I think that's the, the most important thing um, to get out of the way. And then the other point that, that is also a, a bit of a mis uh, unfortunate uh, misconception that we see is that it is um, illegal or that it is fishy or that it is only for tax evasion because that just couldn't be further from the truth. There's so many benefits to, to moving part of your money offshore and there's um, no, none of those benefits are, are in any way, shape or form uh, illegal or, or even in the gray area of, of things. So um, privacy is something that we value extremely highly here in Switzerland. It's ingrained in our education. It's ingrained in our culture. It's ingrained in our laws. But when we speak about privacy, this is not privacy privacy to, to hide money from, from governments or not pay any taxes. It's um, privacy uh, in terms of frivolous lawsuits, in, in terms of noisy uh, neighbors and family members. So I think that's something that is very 
um, important as well. And then the, the last point is that a lot of people think it is just insanely complicated and that there's no way of really figuring out how it works. I think that's, that's not really true as well. Um, I think it can be a bit of a, an overwhelming subject. Um, it, it can be hard for people to know where to start um, looking for information. But if you do find a, an offshore partner like, like our companies or, or other um, financial service providers out there that, that offer similar things, um, if you have a good partner that can walk you through the whole process, it's not necessarily very complicated. It doesn't take too much time. Um, and, and also what, what I always like to emphasize, of course, there's some paperwork involved in setting everything up. But once, it's, once it is set up, you have a strong long-term solution that can last uh, decades or even over several generations. So it's definitely worth um, informing yourself, doing your research and due diligence and just figure out if it is something that could add benefit uh, and value to your life. And if it can, um, then the, the paperwork that is needed in the beginning is, is definitely a, a very small price to pay for long-term security and, and for long-term peace of mind. And one of the conversations that we had before today was that I had the opportunity, opportunity to learn about what, what I would call foreign jurisdictions in 2013 in learning about how Liechtenstein has got some great benefits as well as Panama. And it has been yep. incredibly helpful in my journey um, because again, we don't know what life might throw at us. And <laughs> yeah. um, in the education is, it's it, it just the distinctions around it are uh, incredibly valuable. And unless somebody tells us we're not gonna naturally know or it's not necessarily gonna be on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, for instance, yeah. right? And we can't rely on movies like The Da Vinci Code and secret <laughs> Swiss accounts to, you know, to teach yes, us. Exactly, I think finding a, a partner that you can trust, that you like, that, that you feel you have a, a good relationship with, that, that is really um, one of the key parts of, of starting this journey and, and um, finding valuable information and someone to, to guide you through it. Yes, an ally helps. So what can an, an investor expect, whether they open an account, uh, whether they open an account at 250000 or a million dollars or more, what can they expect? What, what can I expect? Yeah, so um, to, to give you a bit of a rundown of, of what we do. So we, we are an independent asset manager. Um, that means we work together with private banks. So our company doesn't hold any money, but we have partner banks that we have good relationships with, that we have vetted, that we have done our due diligence on, that have high liquidity um, ratios and that have good and knowledgeable partners that have experience with, with U.S. Um, investors. So we then together with the client, we try to understand where they're coming from, what kind of uh, needs they have, what kind of fam family and um, financial situation they are in. And then based on that, we'll find a bank that best suits them. Of course, in the end, it's up to the client. We'll just offer a variety of options and, and give the pros and cons of, of each of the banks. And those banks are in in a variety of jurisdictions. So we have a partner bank here in Switzerland, two actually. Um, we have partner banks in Liechtenstein and Austria. So um, Liechtenstein is great because it's a tiny country. It has a population of 30,000 people. It also, they also speak Swiss German, like, so, like, like we do here in Zurich. Um, they have the Swiss franc as their currency as well. They, they even share our postal service. Um, so they're very similar to Switzerland, but they're even smaller. Um, they also have a very reputable financial service um, industry. And then Austria, uh, on the other hand, is, is a larger company. And what they can offer is they are part of the European Union. So we do have a couple of clients who maybe have um, family 
homes or, or vacation houses in the European Union, and they want to have a, a bank that, that is part of the European Union with, with euros as, as a trading currency. So in those three jurisdictions, we have a variety of partners. Once it is decided which country, which bank best suits um, our clients, we will then introduce the client to the bank. We will set up the account together with the bank. So what is um, important is the client just has one contact person. So either myself or someone from my team who guides them through the whole process. So they don't have to talk to the bank separately. They can just talk to the independent asset manager. Then once the account is set up, we, our company, receive a power, a limited power of attorney, meaning we can receive information on behalf of the client and we can make investment decision um, on, on behalf of the client. We cannot take any money out of the account except for the management fee that, that has been agreed upon from, from the beginning. And then we set up an, uh, an initial investment conversation where we have an in-depth conversation about the investment strategy. So from the beginning, we will talk about how the money will be deployed, what the client wants. Um, we have a general understanding, but then we will really, really talk about how we're going to invest the money. Of course, it's different for every client, but just generally speaking, our focus is international investment diversification. So due to that, we are excluding the US dollar and the US stock market from all our portfolios. You want to make sure that clients really get a counterbalance to the money that they might already have um, domestically. We have a lot of expertise, obviously, in the European and the Swiss market, just due to geographic proximity um, to the closeness that we have to the markets. And um, then we, of course, also have investments in, in other areas of of the world. We also have some Canadian investments, some investments in the Asian Pacific area. Um, we also have a, a little bit of exposure in the emerging market. So basically everything except for the US. Um, as I already mentioned earlier in the conversation, we do have a, a, a main focus on capital preservation. So of course, um, every client has a different level of risk that they are willing to take. They have different time horizons, different liquidity needs. Um, so they will all be taken into consideration. But as a company, we are rather um, uh, conservative. We have quite a, a plain vanilla approach, if, you want, uh, if we want to call it that, because we want to make sure that we only make investments that our clients understand. Um, and that we don't book them anything into the portfolio that, that they don't really understand what it is and, and what the benefits are. And then, of course, when we make investments, we, we also have um, tax considerations. Of course, we are not um, tax specialists or tax preparers, but we do take long and short term capital gains into considerations when making investments. Um, we do take into considerations that there are negative tax consequences for PFIX, for example. So those are all things because we have been working together with Americans for 30 years. That, that is just second nature to us that we make sure that all of those things are included in all of our investment strategies. And then once everything has been set up and invested, we of course regularly check the um, portfolio. We uh, might sell or, or add things to the portfolio. And the most important thing then is just that we stay in very regular contact with our clients. So we have, of course, our personal conversations that goes without saying, but we also have a, a market report that we send out. We um, provide quarterly bank statements. We have e-banking. We have all our online resources like, like the book and the podcast. So it's just important to us that um, even though uh, in investment management and international diversification are our main core business, we still uh, also see us as a sort of a, a knowledge center where we just provide as much helpful information as we can to our clients, but also to people who are just interested in the service. So it's a tailored relationship. Yes. Somebody yes, signs it's, up. It's, it's absolutely tailored. I think this, this is the one thing that, that really 
um, sets us apart from the banks is that we have personal and long-standing relationships with our clients. So if you go as a client, if you go to a private bank, you get a relationship manager that might get promoted or fired or moved to a different country after two or three years. And then every two or three years, you have to get to know another person here. Um, as I mentioned, my father has been doing it for 30 years and, and uh, we intend to do it for at least another 30 years um, before our succession plan kicks in. So we really value personal relationships and we want people um, to do business with us as, as people and, and human beings as well and not with us as a corporation in that sense. Okay, so it's a smaller custom type of office. Absolutely, yes. yes. We, we have a, a boutique approach. We're currently a team of five people. And that also adds a lot of benefit to the clients because they have a very uh, short way to get to the owners of the company. Um, we, we are family owned and managed. So if there are any issues, if we need to find any um, specific solutions, we, we can really, uh, you can get to us very quickly. And, and we are hopefully able to provide a, a flexible and entrepreneurial mindset that helps you solve any questions or concerns a client might have. Wonderful. So it's personal. So, and that's valuable to know because people are, they can be so sensitive when it comes to their money regarding what they're getting into and if it feels yeah. far away and so forth. So if you could uh, draw a distinction between uh, when people talk about uh, you know, private banking uh, in the United States, and if you could compare that to Switzerland and the, the this you know what they call the superior quality of service, what <laughs> might be the difference? I mean, you may have touched upon it briefly already, but I just wanted to point the flashlight here for a moment. Yeah, I think I mean if we talk about the operational banking, um, the day-to-day -day basis, I think that's very similar because banking is banking no matter where you are in the world. Um, but there are some significant differences and that mostly comes down to, to culture and how the company set up. So I would say if you compare US, the US mindset to the Swiss mindset, US people are, are more prone to taking risk and they, they also have uh, tend to have a bit of a more of a short-term approach. Whereas uh, Swiss people very much value um, safety and security. They might not be um, taking as many risks and they have a very long-term um, approach to, to banking and the business. And that's also reflected in, in how the laws are set up. So I think the US um, is a great place for, for uh, investment banking, uh, but Switzerland is really predominantly strong in private wealth management, uh, precisely because of the the, the lack of risk taking, if you if you want to say so, and, and the emphasis on, on long term solutions. I think um, that that's really the, the two main differences between the US and, and Switzerland. And also, if you look at private banking in, in the way that we understand it. So for me, when I talk about private banking, that's that's a, a private bank is for me a bank that is privately held um, the majority of, of the stakes. Um, are held by the family that, that founded um, the company. So we have, I think, uh, over 10 or 11 private banks here in Switzerland. And I just looked it up before we started our conversation. I think there's one um, official private bank in, in the United States. And I think that the difference, if, if you look at the population in Switzerland of 8 million people, whereas uh, over 300 million in the US, uh, we do see that per capita, we do have a lot more private banks here. And that goes back to the long track record and history of the country with private banks, because most of the private banks that we have here were starting 8080, 1890. Um, so that's really where what it comes down to, I would say, is, is the different mindset and the track record that is different. The history that's there. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So are you able to share any recent stories about a discerning or high net worth client 
that benefited from the protection and privileges offered through Swiss investments and international diversification. Yeah, I mean, there's there are so many stories that I could tell you. Um, one that comes to mind in particular was a client that has been managed by my father for many years. And then uh, my husband and I took, took over the account and, and the management of the account. And it was very important for him to, to get his daughter and son-in-law involved as well, just for them to get an understanding um, of, of finances and investing and an understanding of his wealth. But because he's not, he's not very old, but I do believe it, it makes sense to start discussing um, legacy and estate planning at, at, at as, as early as you can. And I think that the daughter is in her early thirties and it is, for me, it was just beautiful to see that he trusted us enough um, to get his daughter and son-in-law involved with us to make sure that we can guide them through international diversification, that we can provide information to them, that we can help them get started early on with a smaller account and that hopefully they can grow together with us over the decades to come. And if something were to happen to him, that they already have the connections and the contacts to us and our company, that they already know how everything is set up and that will just make it a lot easier for them um, to take over in, in the event that, that something happens to her father. And I think that's really a, a testament to what we do and how we do it. Um, if people not only entrust us with their money, but, but also with, with their children and, and the education of their children. So that is really something that, that I'm extremely grateful for when, when we get to, to work with children of our clients, because it just, again, shows the, the long-term approach that we have. Um, and then an, another story uh, of a client that, that just started with us a bit more recently, um, he is very interested in, in Italian cars and, and Italian sports cars, and um, he was interested in, in finding the, just the, the right sweet spot of, of when to um, exchange his US dollars into euros so that, that he can buy a new car. And I think that is, is also interesting to me because it's such a different situation. He just wanted to have part of his money in, in Europe to, to make investments here, not, not only in cars, but, but also in different areas. Um, and it just shows the, the variety of needs that people have and the variety of reasons why people want to move money out of the US dollar and, and into Switzerland or the European Union. And I think that's what, what for me makes this job so beautiful is that we can... Um, provide a service to a, a really wild variety of, of clients and needs and that we still at the end of the day can help them um, fulfill their, their needs and, and wishes and awesome. desires. So yeah, I, I think th those two are, are two very interesting and, and um, great clients that just come to my mind that, that we have spoken to in, in the recent, recent weeks. And, and that's amazing because especially when we think about the next generation and children coming into wealth and understanding how to manage it or who to speak to and how to get educated on it. I think those conversations become a part of a family's legacy because it strengthens the family's bond and it values and it, it, it creates conversations at the dining room table. And it's not yeah, just something absolutely. that's far off over there. And I also uh, remembered something that we had chatted about before, which is that somebody doesn't have to bring their entire portfolio. They can bring 10% or 25% or a part of it in the diversification and knowing that their eggs don't have to all be in one basket and that yeah. they have choices. And I think that's one of the things that is so important today that people know that they have choices compared to this absolutely. emotion of fear sometimes that the mainstream media can foster. <laughs> and it's good to, to become educated and also to know that... Um, that, that these conversations are, are happening and 
and, and when parents are proactive and they also bring this to the next generation, it also can impact the trajectory of those lives. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think it's an important part to say that um, we very much encourage people to just bring a part of their wealth to us because they, if they still live in the U.S., the U.S. dollar is part of, of their everyday life. And I think it makes sense to have the majority of your money in your home currency and your home country that you have easy access to. Um, but yeah, certainly moving a part of, of the money offshore can provide a, a lot of um, interesting conversations as well, um, not just with the children, but also with the clients, because they just get access to um, people who have received a, a different kind of education, who have grown up in, in a different part of the world, who have a different um, native language. So I think it really widens the horizon. And the same goes for me. I think my life is so enriched by the fact that I get to speak to, to American people on a very regular basis, because it's just so interesting to exchange over different countries and, and cultures and, and learn more about how, how you guys see the world and, and for us to, to learn more about the European perspective. So I think that definitely is a very interesting um, point to make as well, that it just really widens the horizon, not only of your portfolio, but also of, of your mind and your network. Absolutely. And I would hope that more financial planners would also uh, consider having conversations with Swiss financial planners. Because if a U.S. financial planner can only take their client so far, then I think yeah. there comes a point where in the best interest of their client in that fiduciary duty, they then can say, please, let me introduce you to. Yeah, you know, yes. absolutely. Yes. So because I've had quite a few conversations with U.S. based financial advisors and um it's just interesting when they hit a roadblock and they don't know what to do. And I think one of the things that they can do is when the education piece comes in. And so again, yeah. if this is not on the front page of the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times, for instance, I think having these one-to-one -one conversations breaks through the presumptions and the myths or the roadblocks of this feeling of fear or I'm stuck because of that yeah. feeling that, yeah. And there's no need to become frustrated when and there's options. Absolutely. And the same goes for us. I mean, we are very, we are laser focused in what we do. We, we provide wealth management to American clients. And there's a variety of, of needs that, that our clients have that, that we do not meet. And we also have a very broad network of, of other professionals who offer services that are complementary to what we offer. So I, I fully agree. I think collaboration in industry is extremely important. I think the, the needs and the wishes of the clients should, should be center stage. And then we can all work together. And if we all do a great job in what we are specialized in, we, we can help each other out and we can help our clients out through our network. So I 100% I agree with, with everything that you just said. And work through all these obstacles that we're seeing in the landscape right now. Yeah. Yeah. And pivot exactly. and, and, and move it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Very good. So one thing before I, I go on to the, the subject of more female investors, I, I once, one thing that I was surprised was that there is a FinTech community in Switzerland. So for instance, in Oh, California, absolutely. There's Silicon Valley and then there's Silicon Beach. So, and then I know that Austin has a bit of a hub, but I was surprised about Switzerland. I didn't know if you wanted to comment on that briefly or sure yeah i mean it, it's not directly related to to what we do only in the sense that it just shows the the innovation that that switzerland shows um time and time again because we continuously are ranked the, the most innovative country in the world i think the reason people don't know that is that swiss people tend to be very modest almost a bit too modest because they don't really like um, to, to shout it from the rooftops if, if they do something good. But we as a country are really good in, in innovation. That's also partly due to the, the high class universities that we have here. And that also led to, to Switzerland becoming a very 
um, interesting hub for fintechs, but not only fintechs, also for cryptocurrencies. So we do have the Crypto Valley in Souk. Um, that's a, a tiny, not tiny, but maybe tiny for US standards, a uh, small city for Swiss standards, um, a little bit outside of Zurich, maybe 30, 40 minutes away. And they have many, many um, very well-known crypto startups there. Um, it is an extremely interesting hub. It's an extremely interesting scene. And I think it will only grow in, in relevance and, and size over the years to come. Good, very good. I just wanted to bring that up because one of the things that I'm aware of is that one of the niches of millionaires right now that's coming into the marketplace are those with a background in the technology world. So, yes, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, we, we actually did have some some interest from a couple of people who, who did acquire their wealth um, through through cryptocurrency. So that's definitely a very interesting market to, to watch as well. Yeah. Or individuals that might work at Apple and do very well for themselves or so forth. OK, yes. So as the world is changing and it appears there are more women coming into affluence and wealth, would you shed any light on the preferences of a female investor? <laughs> and how she may choose differently. And the reason I bring this up is because, um, not to say that a female might feel like an island, but if she does, I think <laughs> that this is uh, an important conversation to have because if she can't go to the local coffee shop and have this, then maybe this can bring some yeah. awareness. And Absolutely, yeah. I, I love the topic of, of the next generation of wealth coming in, and that definitely includes having having women in, on, on at the table as well. Um, I'm, I'm actually writing a, um, a research paper at the moment on, on how wealth management companies can set themselves up to appeal more towards female clients, because I do believe the, the, the operational work of investing a portfolio is very similar for women and men. And I don't really think that there's um, a huge difference. There are a variety of studies who say that women tend to be more risk averse than men. But there have also been studies who suggested that maybe um, those previous findings have been misleading because if you account for the fact that women have more volatility in their salaries and they have they tend to have lower wealth in general than men, um, if you take those factors out, the risk aversion levels are pretty similar over the, the gender. So I do believe that investing for men and women is not that differently, but what is different is how women would like to be treated. And what we unfortunately still see a lot in, in the industry is that people just see women as a marketing opportunity, as like a PR gag, um, where they can just uh, provide a pink statement and then believe that they have done their duty of appealing to women. And that's just really redundant. And uh, it's unfortunate because women are not a marketing opportunity. They are an economic force to be reckoned with. And I think for wealth management companies to set themselves up for future success, they have to realize that. And they do have to invest time into understanding female clients. And there it's very important to not put everyone in the same bucket because just because two people are female does not mean that they are the, the same person or have the same wishes and the same understanding. So I, I think generally speaking, there, there are um, gender differences, but also a gender is not a homogeneous group. So um, we, we will have to look at we have to meet women eye to eye. We have to take them seriously. We have to provide a, a platform and environment where they do feel comfortable asking questions. Because another thing that we see is that women tend to have um, lower financial literacy and also a lower level of self-esteem when it comes to financial knowledge. Of course, that doesn't apply to everyone, but it does apply to, to many women. So we have to provide 
an environment where they do feel comfortable asking questions. And and also what we see is with women is they are very eager to learn. They want to, they know how important finances are, how, how important finance topics are. So they really want to learn more and increase their knowledge. And we have to provide a helping hand in that. And that's also what we do is with providing all those, all that content online. We, we have seen an increase in uh, requ- uh, like uh, requests by prop female prospects of over 30% in the past three years. And we haven't necessarily done anything particularly different than before. What we have done is we provided more content, we provided more webinars, um, more blog posts, more articles. Um, Also, we have increased our level of of female management uh, that probably has helped as well because women tend to look a bit more for diversity than men. Um, So I think a very good first step is for people or for wealth managers to realize that women are an important economic factor. Um, The second point is to realize that women tend to be different than men in how they want to be catered towards, but they're not all the same. And then the third is just really taking the time to think about how and what specifically the company can do small steps to to appeal more to female clients. But I think it's an extremely important topic that needs to be considered and that needs to be um, thought about in order to be successful for the future. So I'd like to share a quote to build off of what you've just mentioned and also an experience uh, so here's the quote that I was looking for it. It just kind of came top of mind. Something that I read in the last few days, it talked about that there is a massive amount of assets that will shift into the hands of American women. So this came from a U.S. publication um, <laughs> over the next three to five years, totaling up to $30 trillion uh, as an opportunity by the end of the decade. And I thought, wow, so um, women really have doors that are opening and opportunities ahead of them if they're willing to step forward. And is it scary? Sometimes, of course it is. Do we feel uninvited in certain rooms? Of course, because it changes the the dynamics. And sometimes people can say, well, money is power. And what if she earns more than him and all of those those nuances. But I I think it is really important that women do become educated and not um, feel isolated or alienated. And something that I remembered uh, from 20 years ago was a conversation that I had with a a female mentor, an older female mentor. And she had shared with me that uh, many of the times women, if they come into wealth, and this was 20 years ago also compared to to today, but either they inherit it or let's say they have a spouse that passed away. So most of the time their husbands or fathers managed it. And then all of a sudden one day they wake up and this nest egg is given to them. And will they know enough that they can, you know, metaphorically drive the car? So yeah, really, um, I, oh, please go ahead. Yeah, I think, yeah, sorry, I just wanted to say, I, I do think that um, inheritance are, are still a, a very important way of, of how women do get money because they, they tend to live longer there than their husbands. Um, but of course, women are also becoming more and more um, relevant and important in the workforce. So there will also be more and more women who have acquired their own wealth. I think there's there will be a combination of both. For the first um, situation, I think what, what is extremely helpful and what we try to do very proactively is always including the spouse in the conversation, be it um, the, the wife or the, the husband. We, we also have clients where the, the woman is the main contact person, but we just want to make sure that we make it a point from the beginning to involve both people, if, it, if it's a married couple, um, into the conversation, make space for both of them and explain everything that both of them understand it and both of them can follow and both of them can comment and ask questions. And that will make it 
so much easier if the person who is mainly responsible for the money passes away. It's so, so much easier for, for the surviving spouse to take over um, a relationship that has been existing. Because what we also see is if a, if a husband passes away, the woman uh, inheriting the money changes the wealth manager in 80% of the cases within a year because they just don't really feel um, treated like they want to be treated by the person who their husband has been working together with. Because what we also see is that women tend to prioritize relationship and trust more than men. So for a man, they can be working together with, with a wealth manager if they just provide the numbers. They don't really have to like them or particularly trust them. But for women, um, the relationship and the trust is more important. And what we also see is that women tend to be better at reading um, emotions, reading facial expressions. So they have a better detector for authenticity. So they can feel if the other person is not authentic, if, if they are nice to their face and then trash talk them with their colleagues. We, women are just better at detecting that. Um, so I think it's really important that people genuine, genuinely want to provide a good service to women and not just put on an act because they feel they have to without actually caring for the person. Yes. And I think people can feel that. I think Absolutely. Especially yeah. women can be extra sensitive to that because uh, we're built yeah. a little bit differently. And we've also had to deal with different biases, whether it's yes. conscious or unconscious uh, regarding, you know, where we belong, how we belong or what we're quote deserving of or entitled to. There's still <laughs> many messages in society that are there. And for the pioneers that are in the forefront, they definitely get to be face to face with those, <laughs> those conversations. Okay. So is there anything specifically that would be important for lady investors to know, like a financial formula or anything that might come <laughs> top of mind or? Um, that's, I, that's a bit of a tricky question. I don't think that, that there's, that women need to need to know something different than men. I think, um, What's important is that people really inform themselves about the different options that are out there, that people do their own due diligence and research. And what we um, try to do and what I think is helpful for people is before we have a first meeting, we already provide a lot of information. Because if you go into a meeting and then you get all this information thrown at you, it's very hard if you're not used to, to the financial world to to sort it all out. So we provide all the information beforehand so people can at their own piece, uh, pace, sorry, yeah. they can read through it and prepare and then they can come and say, okay, I have informed myself. I hear I have a list of five or 10 or 15 questions. Can we just go through that? And then of course I, I can still give a rundown over all the information. That's not an issue, but I just don't want to give people so much information that they're just overwhelmed and don't know where to start asking questions. So I my tip for other wealth managers or, or for female investors, um, it goes into both directions, would be to either provide information before a meeting or ask for information before a meeting so you can prepare, think about it, and then go into the meeting um, knowing what you want to ask. And if, if you find a, a phrase or a word or a formula that you don't know, you can Google it, you can look it up. So okay. you, you feel that you are ready to, to have the conversation that you would like to have. And I think it's very important that you find someone who's patient in answering all your questions. You should never feel like a burden. It is your hard earned money and you deserve to know what's happening and you deserve to have the information that you need um, to, to learn what you need to know. And I think that's very important that people should not um, 
it's just, it's customized. Any questions or receive any information. Yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to add that it that it, it becomes customized, and so instead of them feeling like there's like a fire hose on them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Well, that's wonderful, and I, I really appreciate what you said about the word patience. Yeah. Yes, I think that's key. Uh, you, people should never feel rushed in a process like that. I think it has to go at the the pace that the client feels comfortable with. And we did have people who have been observing our company for ten or fifteen. At conferences, they were like, hey, now I feel comfortable reaching out to you. And that's totally fine. I think everyone needs to have their own um, pace and, and, and needs to, to be true to themselves and, and needs to be true to, to the approach that they're going to take. That's wonderful. Would you just kindly repeat the sentence you said about conferences because the screen froze? Oh, yes. I just said that we had people um, who have been watching us and, and going to conferences that we spoke to for 10, 15 years before um, they reached out to us. And I think one just needs to take the, the time that they need um, to, to do it in their own personal time frame. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so um, what do uh, female investors need to feel safe and or how is investing unique uh, for their experience? And, and you might have already answered this, but um, is there anything in particular that women have said um, to you that has been valuable feedback regarding, you know, why they trust you or why they come back to you? Is it that you send the weekly email? Is it that you reach out by phone in that personal relationship? I think it is that the main feedback that I have gotten and also what we have found in our paper so far is that women appreciate it if they um, feel taken seriously. So ah, some negative yes. experiences that came up were women that felt that that the advisor tried to force their hand and wasn't really listening to them. And the advisor gave them the feeling that they knew better what was good for her than, than she knew for herself. And I think that's a major red flag. You, you need to find um, a partner who takes you seriously, who answers your questions, who takes your personal situation and your wishes into consideration. And I think women also need to have the boldness to walk away if they don't feel comfortable. Don't feel bad if you're not working together with someone who is not giving you a good feeling. I think that's very important that, that it is your, your right to work together with someone who you feel comfortable with. And if it's not a match for whatever reason, um, don't feel bad for just saying, hey, I, I don't think that that's going to work out for me. Or I'd like to explore a few other options. Or something. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. So two final questions. How can your firm preserve a client's legacy? And of course, I'm talking about legacy in the traditional definition of <laughs> property and financial assets compared to the yeah. greater purpose per se or the, the softer aspects. Um, I think that that goes back nicely to, to the story I mentioned with, with our client who introduced us to his daughter. I think we, we can help preserve legacy by putting together a nest egg that's gonna last um, one or two generations where we can help people um, know that, that their money will go into the hands of, of their children or whoever they appoint the, the money to go to and that they then have a, a good and, and stable service to fall back to. And I think that's really essential in what we do is that we provide a long-term solution that, that can be passed on to the next generation. And I think it, it also is a bit broader than just the, uh, like the, the traditional approach of, of legacy. I think it also goes to um, 
the, the relationship and the knowledge that, that parents can pass on to their children through whatever they have learned uh, by working together with us and, and with all the information that we can provide to the next generation as well. So whether the market goes up or the market goes down, they, their legacy will be safe. Their yes, finances exactly. will, will be safe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And final question, what would you like your personal legacy to be? Oh, wow. Um, I think for me personally, how, how I think about my legacy is, is the, the lives of, of, of other people, people that I have touched. So I really hope that um, my legacy will be having a, a positive influence on, on the people that I have met along the way and on the journey. So I hope that that all the people that, that cross my path or that I pa- cross path with, that they are better off um, once our path cross, uh, like yes. separate again. Um, in, in terms of, of that, that I basically leave people better than I found them. I, I think that that's something that, that I really um, aspire to do. And then, of course, in, in the more traditional sense, I, I really hope that uh, we can pass on this, this company in, in uh, several decades to, to children or other um, people who, who are interested. Uh, of course, I, I wouldn't want to force any uh, children into a certain um, pathway but if they would be interested if, if you could move the, the generation into a third uh, sorry if you could move the company into a third generation I think that would be wonderful lovely lovely um, okay and what are your top three values and how do you get to honor them by the advisory service that your firm offers I think my, my top value would be honesty um, uh, authenticity and reliability. I think those are the three that, that come to mind spontaneously. Um, I think honesty is extremely important in being honest in what you can provide, what you cannot provide to make clear statements, to have clear expectations management. Um, authenticity, I think it's something that's very important as well because our business relies on personal relationships. And um, I, we as a company might not be a great fit for everyone. So we want to be ourselves and then we let the client decides decide whether they like that or not. And um, if they feel that they would fit in a, another company better, then, then by all means, we, we want the clients to find a solution that is best for them. And if it's not our company, um, then, then that's okay as well. And then reliability, uh, that's just a personality trait of mine. I think it's extremely important in life, but in finance, especially um, our clients need to be able to get a hold of us. Um, they need to, to be assured that, that we do what we tell them to do, that we keep our promises, um, that we are available, and that we do our job um, diligently and, and in a way that, that is helpful uh, to them. That's, that's lovely service to others. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So- Absolutely. I just wanted to, to say in, in terms of wrapping up, thank you for the knowledge that you brought forward. I know that um, it's very thorough and I hope that any viewer or listener, you know, via the, the podcast that Legacy Planning has, will, uh, will have had uh, new seeds of ideas and thoughts get planted in their mind regarding what else is available, that it expands their worldview, their box, as well as, you know, if they do have children of their own, how they can also bring their next generation into this conversation that there is, you know, people out there with much knowledge that are interested, ready and willing to help and that um, they are honest and reliable and they will show up and do the best job that they can in their fiduciary duty. And I just just want to thank you again for coming prepared and, and, and Absolutely. being so transparent. 
Thank, thank you so much for having me. And, and also in, in the spirit of, of providing knowledge, um, you mentioned the, the, the book that I have co-authored in 2018. And um, we, we are providing that for free to, to everyone who's interested because we don't want to have any financial hurdle for, for people to, to learn more about international diversification. Um, it's really, it's, uh, it's an objective book about Switzerland. It's, it's not uh, in, in relation to our company. Um, so if anyone's interested in, in getting a free digital copy of the book, feel free to send me an email at uh, info at whvp.ch. And I'm very happy to provide a copy of the book to anyone who's interested. Wonderful. And I will just add to that, that chapter four talks about the tax treaty. And I think that that is <laughs> also really good historic knowledge to know as a background Yes. Fantastic. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Okay. So on that note, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your personal legacy, and also who you are as a human being. And um, we'll look forward to connecting you with future clients and so forth. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you so much.